economic crisis, we continue to search for solutions in terms of solving a political crisis that the country has faced. Uh, I've invited to our studios Member of Parliament of the National People's Power, the Jatika Janabalavegya, um, MP Harini Amarasuria. A very warm welcome to you. Thank you. Um, Let's start off uh, talking about the current political crisis and where the JVP-led NPP stands today in terms of uh, seeking solutions to this crisis. Uh, currently, our position is that uh, this government is, has lost its mandate. We have a president who uh, was rejected by the people at the last election, who through a uh, quirk in our constitution is now holding a very powerful position without having been elected to that uh, the position he's holding. So we cannot accept that as legitimate, as falling within acceptable democratic practices. Furthermore, the mandate that the people gave in 2019-2020 has changed drastically. The mood of the people has changed and uh, that's reflected in the protests that people have been uh, involved in over the last couple of years at least. So we feel that the people have a right to express their mandate, that the mood of the people has changed, the man will of the people has changed, and that has to be given an opportunity to be uh, tested and to be, uh, and to be demonstrated. And within a, dem a democratic framework, the only fair way we can do this is through an election. Um, it was a legitimate president who was uh, asked to go home. The people yes. went out to the streets and asked a president who was given a clear mandate. Yeah. And why would you oppose right now that a member of parliament from within your uh, house, mm. from within the parliament, is elected to president following the events uh, that led to this? Because this is a very unique situation. As you said, a president who was uh, voted into power by an overwhelming majority had to leave also because of people getting on the streets demanding his resignation, right? That suggests that there's something very profoundly different about uh, the, the will of the people from what, have, what they felt in 2019 and what they're feeling right now. Um, and in the circumstances, in those kinds of circumstances, we think it is not appropriate for someone to step into that position and claim that mandate for a further two and a half years without it being tested. Holding that position as an interim power, as a, as a transitionary measure is fine, but to just continue with, the, with that office when that person has not been elected and when it's very clear in our constitution, despite all its weaknesses, the constitution is very clear. Sovereignty lies with the people and the people have to elect their representatives. And it's very clear even about uh, this, uh, the, the executive position, that the, the uh, people have the power, have sovereignty over the executive presidency as well. right? And therefore, they elect someone through their choice. Ranil Vikramasinghe was not elected. So are you saying that Ranil Vikramasinghe's appointment as the head of state executive president is not legitimate, regardless of the fact that uh, a majority of the people's representative representatives in parliament voted, hi in, uh, voted him in? For two reasons. One is that the per people who voted him into parliament are also representing a political movement that is being questioned and rejected by people, right? So you, you, yes, if you look at it in terms of the, 
lines of a constitution, there's nothing illegitimate about this. But it is morally incorrect. In terms of democratic principles, it's incorrect. So for a government to govern, for a government to, uh, to have legitimacy in the eyes of the people, it's not enough to be able to legally defend itself. It must appear to be legitimate. It must win the trust of people. This government has failed to do, do that. The president has failed to do that. And that's what's at the bottom uh, causing the political instability. And unless that is addressed, the political instability will continue. And that's going to have a serious impact on the economic situation. But right now, we do not see people um, going out to the streets demanding the president's resignations, uh, as we saw previously when uh, President Gotabe Rajapaksa, then president, was in power. So uh, do you still think that the tone has not changed? The tone has certainly not changed. The nature of the uh, protests have changed, also because of the uh, vicious backlash from the government. Uh, on protesters, you, you see what's happening on almost on a daily basis when even a small group of people are out protesting. There's such a heavy-handed response from the people, from the government, that it's making it very difficult for people to express themselves. So we are talking about a shrinking democratic space for people to express their views as well, right? But given that, given that none of the issues that the people raised during the protests have been resolved, there's nothing to, uh, nothing to say that the mood of the people has changed. And certainly when we talk to people, when we meet people on a daily basis, we are also representatives of the people. And what they tell us is that they are not happy with the situation. They too want an opportunity to exercise their mandate. Are you, are you also saying that law enforcement authorities taking action against any breach of law and order uh, should not be allowed, uh, especially in the context that a peaceful protest was later transformed uh, into violence because of certain political uh, party intervention um, after the May 9th incidents and thereon. Uh, do you accept the kind of violence that was seen um, around Colombo? I think if we talk about what happened on May 9th, let's start with what happened uh, on the morning of May 9th, right? When goons set out from temple trees uh, and attacked what was a peaceful protest, right? So let's start from there. And let's start with whether those uh, who carried out that attack have been brought to account. Whereas the police and the government have been very uh, keen on, uh, on uh, going after those who responded to that brutal attack on unarmed uh, protesters on a very peaceful protest, right? So we can't talk about what happened in the afternoon and evening of uh, May 9th without taking into consideration what happened on the morning which provoked those attacks, right? So let's treat all those acts of violence in the same way. We don't condone acts of violence, not at all. Those who broke the law must be, must be brought before the law and held to account. But everybody has to be treated equally then, right? All those who brought to, bro broke the law must be, uh, treat, uh, must be treated in the same way. And I'm not just talking about what happened on the 9th of May. What, ha what about things that happened after the 9th of May? What about when the protesters were, uh, were removed from Gallface in the middle of the night after they had made a declaration, after they had made a public statement that they were going to leave the, uh, leave the space uh, the, in, uh, the next day, in a few hours, the police attacked them in the middle of the night and drove them away. 
Subsequently, people have been arrested. Three people have been were arrested under the Prevention of Terrorism Act and de detained for 90 days without a charge. One has already been bailed. Two are still uh, uh, being held under the PTA. What about the attack that happened just a couple of days ago when people were at golf face commemorating those who had died, holding candles? There was nothing violent about that protest. What provoked the attack there from the police when, uh, when children were snatched uh, or parents were, were arrested in front of their children? It was, a very, it was completely unprovoked. It was completely over the top. This was not about law and order. What was the law that those people had broken at that point? What about all the protests uh, earlier where the p p police have uh, attacked those protesting with water cannons and with tear gas? Which law exactly did they break at that point? Right. So it's not just what about arresting people who are involved in the violence in the aftermath of the attack on the protest on the 9th of May. It is subsequent to that, especially after Ranil Vikramasinghe became president and the government cracked down on any kind of uh, dissent, any kind of pro protest, which is uh, causing real uh, worry and real fear uh, about the way in which people's constitutional rights are being violated. You, you, agree, you, you know that the the, the, the law the, the law that is above every other law is the Constitution. The Constitution protects people's right of expression, right to dissent, right to form association, right to assembly. And the police are invoking uh, laws under certain powers that they have and uh, using those to disrupt con and to, um, to violate constitutional rights. Um, and how do you respond to claims that uh, a peaceful campaign of protests was later turned into a politically motivated um, campaign as a result of uh, JVP-led uh, the, the NPP and other parties being part of this, um, this, this protest campaign? I think that's a ridiculous claim to make because uh, the protests were always political in that the demands were political, right? If by politics you're talking about uh, challenging uh, politics is not just about being affiliated to a party. Politics are, is also about uh, about uh, uh, struggling, uh, uh, citizens' movements, citizens' struggles about uh, power, about governance issues, which was largely what the protest was about. Are you saying that the JVP and the NPP were, uh, were involved in these protests from the beginning as of, a party? Uh, of course we were, as, any, as lots of other groups were. Right? Uh, right from the beginning, our student groups, our women's groups, our artist groups, they were involved in the protests, not just the JVP, the NPP. There were lots of other political parties part of the, uh, part of the movement, including uh, people who, who, who claimed to be supporting Rani Vikramasinghe at that time. So it was a very diverse uh, group of people who were protesting. Uh, there were, before the protest centered around golf face there was a there was a long series of protests by teachers they belong to every party uh, there, there there were lots who were not part of any political party uh, there prior to that the farmers protested that was not a jvp led protest that the farmers were also uh, belong people who belong to many parties or who be belong to no party what was unique about the golf face 
sort of Aragalia was uh, their, their very conscious desire to remain non-partisan. To be non-partisan is very different to being non-political. You can't say the protests were non-political. They were highly political. But they were non-partisan because it was not dominated by any one party. And this narrative that the JVP or the NPP dominated that Aragalia, that protest, is completely wrong and extremely undermining of the huge coordinated effort and the sort of huge participation of lots of different groups in that protest. I think it's a doing that ethos, that ethos of nonpartisanship, that ethos of expect, accepting a lot of diversity in that group, a complete disservice to think that the JVP or any other one political group had control over that. What is the solution that your coalition proposes that uh, Sri Lanka uh, implement right now, apart from going in for elections? Well, there is. Well, the, the reason why we are asking for elections is as a first step towards resolving the crisis, because there is a crisis in, of trust in the government, right? And without that trust, there can't be political stability. Uh, without political stability, we can't begin to uh, resolve the economic crisis that we are facing. So that is why we are calling for an election, to, to, to give the people an opportunity to establish a government that they can work with, that they can trust uh, for at least a one, one, one and a half years, two years. You know, every new government is given an opportunity. People then take a step back and, and allow the government to go ahead and do things. But this government is seen as a continuation of the government that the people have been rejecting and the people have been protesting against. That is why it's going to be very difficult for this government to win the trust of the people, especially when they continue to behave in a way that disregards uh, the mood and the sentiments of, uh, of the general public. Uh, if uh, MP Anrukumar Disanayaka, the JVP leader, uh, was appointed as president at the time during the discussions in search of a uh, head of state, do you think you would have still supported for um, a, a new election going forward? Yes, because when we put, put forward a proposal for an interim govern government, and uh, said that we are willing that to, for uh, uh, Andhra Kumara Disanayaka to take on the position as Prime Minister at that point. This was after the resignation of Mahinda Rajapaksa. One of the conditions that we, there were two conditions that we put. One was the resignation of the President, and the second was an all-party interim government with a specific time frame, uh, with a specific agenda. We had proposed something like three to six months and then an election. So even in the proposal we put forward after May 9th, it was for an interim all-party government as a transition before an election. Then uh, after, uh, after Gotabe Rajapaksa fled the country and there was a couple of days of uncertainty, then again we tried to put that proposal forward of an interim uh, government for a specific duration with a specific agenda consisting of all the represent, uh, representative political parties in parliament currently. Um, but the, the current situation of the country does not allow for an election. Um, Why not? A, a massive burden on the people. Do you think the country and the economy could bear the burden of such an expense uh, in holding elections at this juncture? This country has held elections in far worse situations. And uh, there, there are ways in which an election can be conducted uh, economically, right? Uh, and but we, we think don't, that we don't have a culture or tradition where we have managed uh, 
in such we don't have the technology to do such uh, no I think it's not a, it's not a question of technology there can be ways in which uh, an election can be you can dis, you can dis, figure, figure out a way of spending less on an election you can have uh, 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 an election campaign that calls for uh, curtailing in spending all kinds of things can be done in fact uh, there are unions government sector unions that have come forward who have said they will waive the, their allowances and whatever other payments they get during election times in order to bring down the cost of an election that's that's in practical terms but also at a more sort of uh, political level the cost of maintaining a government like this is is bigger the cost of having a government that is not working a government that is not trusted by the people a government that is unable to fix the problems or respond to the people's problems is having far greater uh, cost on the on the economy than the cost of an election uh, do you think that uh, your coalition would support any good uh, measures taken by this government? Because an allegation is that the JVP-led NPP would never uh, see the good side of things or good side of uh, uh, good deeds, good actions taken by any government. Um, that's not true. I mean, what, if, what good, uh, good proposals have the government put forward that we have not supported, right? I mean, the 22nd Amendment was something that uh, we would have supported. Uh, we, we were considering amendments to that, uh, to bring in amendments to that uh, amendment, uh, which uh, would have further strengthened the 22nd Amendment, further strengthened it towards uh, democratizing uh, the country, the political space. But that was not taken up for consideration. So what other pro-people proposals has this government come up with that we can possibly support? Well, what other solutions do you have for going forward, apart from uh, going in for an election? If, uh, if this government does not um, go in for elections, we have to manage the situation in the interim, and other solutions are required. So from within parliament, um, what, what does your coalition uh, propose? Within Parliament, it's very difficult in this in, with this composition of the Parliament, right? As I said, what we need right now uh, is is a Parliament that is able to work, to respond, to act on behalf of the people, right? To to recognize the the suffering that people are under, to recognize the problems that people are facing, and to come up with solutions. Instead, this Parliament is functioning, which still is, has a majority by the SLPP is still functioning in terms of how to protect its own power, right? So what you see is a continuation of the kind of corrupt deal-making politics that has plagued this country for so long. Without changing that, there is no way that we can move forward. So this parliament has lost its legitimacy, and, it, and this parliament is precisely what is uh, preventing the kinds of reforms and changes that are necessary to take the country forward. So we are not just asking for an election for the sake of asking for an election. We are asking for an election in order so to, to be able to start resolving the very serious problems that this country is facing. And that's not just to say that we, we are intent on forming a government. The people have to be allowed to choose, right? If, if we are chosen, then we have a set of proposals about how to take the country forward. But to do that, you need a parliament that is progressive. You need a parliament that can be led by people who are anti-corruption and who are serious about 
accountability and transparency and all those other fundamental features of a of governance that are necessary for a country to come out of this huge crisis that we are facing. Why do you think there is no honesty and sincerity in uh, the formation of a national council in parliament? Because look at the people on it. Look at the people who have been nominated on it. Most of them are, uh, ha have charges of corruption against them. Most of them have charges uh, not just of corruption but other violent crimes as well. Right? Uh, if, if they were sincere in their efforts, and, and those were the very people that the people's protests uh, were critiquing, were, were asking for a change, right? So if the people's council, this council that was set up, was ostensibly set up as a response to the, the pressures from outside, then it has to heed the mood, the, the sentiments expressed in that movement. And the, the sentiments that were most profoundly expressed there was about anti-corruption, accountability, uh, a move away from this very sort of patronage-based political culture that we currently have. But yet, the people, the government nominated to that position, the, the, to, to the council, personify some of those very problems that this, uh, that the protests and the people's uh, movements were critiquing and were agitating against. So that's. That's completely ignoring what that protest was all about. We're in conversation with MP Harini Amarasuria. We'll be back at Hyde Park on other than 24 right after this break. Do stay with us. Welcome back. You're joining us at Hyde Park. Um, We've been talking about um, the, the political situation in the country, but turning to solve the economic crisis, uh, why is it that you do not agree with the proposals of uh, the interim budget and uh, the, the vision set through a medium to long-term achievement for Sri Lanka through uh, 2022 interim budget and then going forward, the 2023 budget which is to be proposed? Um, so the interim budget uh, did not come up with any proposal, any fresh proposal uh, to look at the fun addressing the fundamental causes of the crisis that we are facing. What are the fundamental causes of the current economic crisis? Is debt uh, unsustainability, uh, the high, I mean, the, the budget deficit, uh, and high levels of co caused as a, res a result of high levels of corruption, wastage. Uh, all of these factors, right? So there's also a budget deficit to be met, which in includes then looking at pruning government expenditure, while also looking into ways in which we can increase our, our incomes, mm -hmm. right? And increase uh, our ability to, uh, to generate uh, dollars. Where in the interim budget were there proposals that looked at some of those the specific measures, right? In, in, uh, apart from raising taxes, what other measures were there to address some of those fundamental uh, issues that have caused the crisis? The other aspect of it is that you have to take into consideration that right now there's a large segment of this population that is faced, that is having to deal with this crisis, which is not of their own making. People have paid taxes, people have paid, worked very hard, and they are now bearing the brunt 
of a crisis that has been not been created by them, by them, but has been created by successive governments and their failures, right? But now people have to pay the price. Where are the protections for the people who have to deal with this crisis? Uh, where are the where are the social protection mechanisms uh, that are uh, that have been that should be in place to look to address issues of hunger, to address se uh, severe problems in the education system? Right, which has been disrupted over the two and a half years, first as a result of COVID, then as a result of the economic crisis. Right? What about the burden of care that women have had to take on because of the economic crisis? So where are the measures? Right? So this budget, the interim budget, was just a continuation of the policies that have, that have brought us to this crisis. That was why we could not support it. If, the, if, if in the uh, budget they had proposed something that looked at really addressing the, the causal factors, we would certainly have uh, supported it. So what fundamental um, changes would you have proposed or would you have brought about um, if the budget was presented by the NPP coalition, uh, especially to address those fundamental causes of this crisis, as you said? Yeah. Start with cutting down, uh, attacking the wastage and corruption in, in uh, government, right? Limit the cabinet, uh, limit the privileges of uh, cabinet members and parliamentarians, because if, if we are to go into a period of austerity, then you have to start right at the top. The top has to set that example of taking measures of austerity. None, none of that was done. Right? The amount would not be significant, but the example set would send a signal to the people of this country that the leadership is willing uh, to, to make sacrifices, that the sacrifices being demanded of the people are being first made by the leaders. And that's important when you're trying to address a crisis of this nature. Uh, we would look at uh, the tax system in a way that would, um, we have huge problems in our tax system. Right, and ta in tax collection, not just in increasing taxes, taxes, primary problem lies with uh, collection and administration of taxes. So looking at ways in which uh, taxes can be collected more efficiently and used more efficiently so that people are incentivized to pay taxes rather than escape taxes because they know that their taxes are not going to be wasted. To look at holding those uh, who've robbed public funds for so long accountable and trying to recover some of that those funds right without placing the entire burden on the public who, who are not responsible for this crisis but actually holding the people who caused this mess accountable and and trying to recover some of the stolen uh, money from the pub from uh, public uh, accounts that has been going on for so long Lo uh, bringing in measures to reduce corruption to hold uh, government uh, uh, and others accountable those are, the sums, those are some of the measures that could have been brought in, which also would have gone a long way in addressing the trust de deficit that has developed in this country between the government and the people, because that would have signaled a sincerity uh, of effort and also a signal that the people's voices have been heard and are being responded to. You said um, tax collection should be improved and not just increasing taxes. Does that mean you do not agree with uh, the recent amendments uh, brought through the budget uh, for uh, increased taxation? The, do you mean the gazette that was yes. put out recently? Well, no, we don't agree with that because those tax measures are, have really hit, are, will really hit the middle class who's already 
reeling from uh, high levels of inflation, right? Uh, there is a severe problem in our tax system, no doubt, and it requires fundamental reforms. But as I said, we need simpler laws, simpler methods for tax collection, better administration, but better collection, use of better technology in, in collecting taxes to make it easier for people to pay taxes. I was on COPA uh, for, um, I have been also reappointed to COPA. There have been, and one of the departments we uh, audit uh, is the Inland Revenue Department. There are lots of pending cases of large corporates that have not paid taxes. That's because of the loopholes in the tax system. So those need to be also fixed, right? You can look at some of the, uh, the loopholes in the current tax system about why we are not able to collect taxes efficiently instead of simply uh, placing the burden of, uh, of taxes on the middle class, on people on a monthly salary who will be direct, directly taxed right, from their saying, salary itself. Are you saying Sri Lanka should leave out these segments of the no, society and target uh, the bigger corporates for not taxation? Not at all. Not at all. It's then not how, about how, how, how do you think this tax system, a structure that works well for the country, should be implemented? A structure that is uh, fair, that taxes uh, different segments uh, based on their income, based on their wealth, and where there is a, a system of collecting taxes, no, collecting taxes more efficiently, right? But taking into account the current economic crisis, right, and the fact that already things like electricity tariffs have increased, transport have ta have increased. Uh, food costs have gone up. Food inflation, as you know, is over 94% right now. So looking at the different segments of the, of the community that have been impacted by this crisis and making sure that they are not overburdened by the tax regime that is being implemented. The current proposal is simply placing that burden on uh, the segments of the population that are already heavily burdened and are really reeling from this crisis. Looking at how we can protect some of the smaller and medium uh, enterprises who, who, are, who are really facing a crunch with the economic crisis, with the import restrictions and uh, other issues that in, in, the, in, in the economic conditions currently. Those, those enterprises, those um, small and medium entrepreneurs really need some protection and incentives right now. And just taxing them right at this moment is going to further shrink the economy because people are not earning in, a, uh, in order to be able to pay taxes, right? So we need to, we, we, one of the basic problems with our tax system is this very ad hoc uh, tax reforms that are brought in periodically, right? Two years ago we had one VAT system, today we have another VAT system. We are going to propose something else. We can't do this in this way, uh, in this sort of ad hoc manner. But the present president has assured that policy consistency is uh, something that he looks to instill going forward uh, through the budget and whatever policy measures that are being formulating. Um, do you think that is why a possibility? Should, why should we trust the word of a man who has been in power six times before, who has been in politics at least from the day I can remember practically all my life, right? Who has been in power, who has held positions of power and responsibility, who had all the time in the world in, when he was in power all these many years ago 
to set those policy consistencies and to set those standards and to set what what he just woke up to the fact that this country has inconsistent policies he has been in power he has but been prime minister five times before a power to well, uh, implement he, these changes certain, he was prime minister and there was an executive he worked with do you think he had the uh, authority to work um, in line with implementing those policies that he says he had a chance to uh, he was prime minister in a government formed by his government with a with with a cabinet that he had control over he was prime minister in a government uh, with the 19th amendment which gave considerable power to the prime minister he was a minister in a government that had a uh, overwhelming majority in parliament for several years for 17 years to be exact he is now the president with no support in parliament with a government uh, which basically got to power create uh, whose entire campaign was focused on uh, getting this current pre president out of power their entire campaign was based on that right so now he's the president of this government with one single seat in parliament surely when he was prime minister before he had far more leverage than he has now and he was unable to bring in any of the reforms that he is now talking about. Are you saying no progress has been made so far uh, in terms of Sri Lanka managing this crisis or looking for solutions going forward from uh, discussions with the creditor nations to striking a balance in terms of managing Sri Lanka's balance of payments crisis and going forward to find solutions to uh, the foreign exchange crisis? Are you saying no progress has yeah, been made? Yeah, I'm saying no progress has been made. What is the progress that has been made? International we, we have become a pari pariah state now, right? Not only in terms of the fact that we are defaulting and we are bankrupt, we are considered bankrupt, but that we are also being named as a corrupt nation, a nation with corrupt leaders, na a, 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 a nation with uh, leaders who have committed economic crimes on top of human rights violations, right? I mean, the, the entire world is, has condemned us. So where is the progress on the international front? Uh, we were told that the IMF agreement is around the corner, uh, but we have made no progress with regard to uh, the bilateral, uh, the, the, the discussions on debt, restructur debt restructuring, right? Or uh, parliament has still not been given any information regarding the agreement with, the, with IMF, right? So what is the progress exactly that we have made? Uh, securing a bailout package, do you think, from the IMF will not uh, serve its purpose? But we have not secured a bailout but package. But there is progress being what made. What is the progress and, that is uh, being discussions made? Discussions are uh, uh, being, uh, continuing with Japan um, asking these countries and Japan expressing their willingness to work with creditor nations as uh, a coordinator, as a co-chairman of a credit conference that Sri Lanka could have in terms of um, restructuring Sri Lanka's debt. But this is a process. So along with everything that is happening in terms of political, uh, um, whatever um, progress that we're making, are you saying that in terms of managing the economic front, we have not made that kind of progress? If not, what alternative do you think in this current uh, juncture we need to look for? The IMF, for the IMF deal to man, uh, bailout package to materialize 
and even if the IMF package in and of itself will resolve our crisis. Let's leave that aside. For the IMF package to materialize, two conditions will have to be met. We have to have a de debt sustainability plan, which the government has to present, which it has not presented. It has to have agreement from all its creditors for debt restructuring. That includes the bilateral the, uh, uh, the agreements that we have bi bilaterally for loans, as well as the ISBs. Right? Uh, we are still talking about all of those. We don't have any agreement from any of those creditors as yet. Uh, if you recall, while, soon after the Prime Minister made his statement in Parliament last week about Japan taking the leadership, Japan, the govern Japanese government put out a statement sort of in, contradicting, uh, in contradiction of what uh, the Prime Minister had just said, uh, the President had just said in Parliament. Right? So I don't think that the picture is as rosy as you made it out to be. But leaving all that aside, Think of the people and what the people are facing right now. With the high levels of inflation, with the problems that they're facing on a daily basis, which of those problems have been resolved? Right? It's, this, is, this is a crisis that has been in the making for a, over a year. This is a crisis that is not a result of natural disaster, but it's a human disaster of, uh, of wrong decisions, of patently wrong decisions that have had huge consequences for people. Where is the accountability for any of that? So how, how has progress been made? Uh, we are also speaking at a time when the IMF, World Bank and other um, economists are warning of a recession risk globally around the corner. The UK is already, uh, its growth forecasts are plunging. The US is in trouble and several other European countries, given the prolonged COVID risks and uh, the ongoing uh, effects of the war in Ukraine. But this also means that developing countries and countries as Sri Lanka will not be spared. So given the crisis now, uh, Sri Lanka will have other added implications as a result of the global uh, economic um, meltdown. How do you think these reforms and uh, these policies that you speak of should be brought through parliament, through a consensus of all parliamentarians, without um, going in for elections, if you're not going for elections, that is? And what specific reforms and uh, measures do you think we need to bring, looking at overcoming and managing those risks? There is no way forward without an election, because the fundamental problem lies in our political culture and our political system. And unless that is fixed, unless there is an opportunity for the people to elect a government uh, that, can, that can win their trust, that can bring about a fundamental change in the political culture, hard as it is, we are not going to be able to move forward. So that's, a, that's, that's essential. There's no way that we can move around that. Creating a consensus government in this parliament, that's that moment has passed, right? We, had, we, we could have done that when the prime minister resigned and when the president fled the country. There were two moments. If, they ha if the government had been open to a, a, a more serious discussion about it. But you were not in agreement, the, the JVP-led uh, No, we, we proposed an interim government. We had discussions with all, the, uh, with all the parties for an interim government. But it was not an interim, uh, but our proposal was not for an interim government to continue the policies of this government. It was for an interim government that was truly 
built on consensus from all the different parties. They were not willing to do that. So we were not willing to be part of a consensus government or a national government for the sake of uh, letting this government continue with its policies. Why should we do that when we fundamentally disagree with their policies? But if they were willing to come up, to sit with all of us and come up with a consensus plan, then you can form a consensus government. But it's, it, they basically developed a plan and asked us to be part of that. That's not consensus. That's just to asking us to provide legitimacy for something that they have already come up with, which we are not willing to do. In the case of a future election, do you think, given the current context, the people's aspirations and their concerns, that uh, a coalition, the, the JVP-led coalition, and the parties will be able to secure uh, a bigger share of power in parliament? Certainly, that's the basis on which we are working right now. We are confident that we can uh, that we have an opportunity to uh, make a sig significant difference in, an, in a future election. Uh, that's what we are working towards. That's, what, that's our hope. But the ultimate decision lies with the people of this country. And that's why we feel that the people of this country have to be given the opportunity to make that choice, whether it's us or anyone else. What policy changes will you uh, promise to the people during such election? Well, fundamentally a change of, a policy, uh, of the political culture, of the corrupt political culture, of the wasteful political culture. So we would, uh, uh, we would be very, uh, very focused on, um, on reducing corruption, on eliminating corruption, on holding those, uh, uh, corrupt, uh, th those engaged in corruption for uh, holding those accountable, for pruning the, uh, the government, for instance, we, we propose an uh, uh, amendment to the Constitution, which we wanted to bring into the 22nd Amendment, actually, limiting the number of ministers to ministries to 25, making that in the, putting that in the Constitution so that no one can sort of change it willy-nilly. 25 ministries and 25 deputy ministers, nothing more than that, pruning some of the privileges. So bringing, bringing down the expenditure of government uh, would be a start. Then we have been working for over two years uh, in developing policies in 10 to 12 different sectors, including education, health, agriculture, tourism. We had a meeting on our tourism uh, policy recently with uh, stakeholders from the tourism uh, sector, and it was well received. Uh, similarly, we have uh, developed economic po uh, po policy for in the short term for economic revival. So there are lots of things that we've been discussing with people in, in those different sectors uh, in taking the country forward. So we have a short term strategy, but some of the, some of the, uh, may, the issues that we need to address can't be addressed in the short term. For instance, uh, moving towards a more production-based economy where we can encourage sectors like the IT or tourism to really revive those sectors so that we can capture substantial uh, section of the global market in, in terms of the strengths that we have, right? We, we've changed fundamental changes. We propose fundamental changes to the education system, uh, which will be moved away from this sort of exam-oriented, competitive, uh, highly sort of individualized kind of uh, education culture, culture to a much more liberating, much more um, um, child-friendly and less exam-oriented ex uh, culture, which will produce the kinds of citizens that this country needs who can take forward 
the country to the to the next level. Uh, we proposed a modernizing of the agriculture sector, uh, of make of of eliminating uh, the the corruption at the level of the middleman, so that both the consumer and the farmer can be protected. So there are many proposals that we have in mind. But none of these proposals can be implemented without that fundamental change in the political culture that I talked about, where we first focus on eliminating corruption, eliminating wastage, and el eliminating nepotism, uh, which means that uh, the people who, are really sh who really should be in positions of authority and power are not in those positions able to do what they should be doing. Uh, finally, um, how will you individually work with other political party representatives as a collective to address the qu uh, question of uh, women, uh, women representation in parliament and other um, high places? We already have a women's caucus in parliament where there are only 12 of us in parliament currently, but we form a caucus and we've been uh, we put forward many proposals to the speaker as well as to the electoral reform process on ensuring a quota for women at all different decision-making levels, including uh, at uh, sort of governance in governance bodies, but also proposing certain changes within political parties uh, to make it more enabling for women to enter politics and uh, change once again in the political culture to make it less violent, mm, less corrupt, less sort of dependent on family patronage and money to be able to get into politics. Because that is one of the biggest problems that uh, prevent women, biggest barriers for women to enter uh, poli uh, politics. So making those kinds of changes uh, within political parties as well. Uh, and really working with women uh, activists to encourage them uh, to get into the system and to take leadership in whatever way possible. Thank you very much for your time here at Hyde Park. Thank you. We had with us uh, parliamentarian Harini Amarasurya of the National People's Power joining us tonight at Hyde Park on Other Than 24. We'll see you again next week at the same time with yet another discussion. Do stay with us. Have a pleasant evening. Good night.